0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to our podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. And if you're new, welcome to ADHD is over. It's a declaration, right? Most of you, I believe, know that we are speaking from the future. How come? Well, every result, everything created in the world through word starts with a declaration. I had someone argue with me the other day that, well, not really. Cause I mentioned the, uh, I have a dream, Martin Luther King, King, Jr. Right. I have a dream was a declaration. And this person said, no, no, it's not. It's a dream. And he was just hoping in the future. And I said, look, it doesn't matter how you describe it, what words you use, but a declaration, even a dream can be a declaration if it's a vision, as long as it has intention, right? Because the moment has intention behind it, you're declaring it. And so when my wife and I decided to name this podcast with this controversial, this kind of uh, often triggers people, right? Provocative title, ADHD is over. We knew that we were speaking from the future. And the question really is, if we had a magic wand wouldn't we want it meaning ADHD to be over or are there reasons interests that we have to keep it in existence i think there are but are we conscious enough to acknowledge that we're keeping it in existence in existence and it's not really helping it's not really empowering our children, our world, and I'll include the adults. It's just that our niche is is parents with children that have been diagnosed, right? But really, can we just get straight about it and ask ourselves, what's the payoff that we're getting by keeping it in existence? Why are the majority of educators, experts, even parents, not interested in declaring it as over in the future because that's the only way we can declare and create something as over starting with word realizing that if it no longer serves us at large as a humanity why not start to declare it as over you don't have to answer this right now for yourself but That's a question I ask every day. If it doesn't serve us, and I should say, if it doesn't serve the people directly dealing with it, the children in our case and the parents, if it doesn't serve us, then why keep it around? Why contribute to words or wording that keeps it in existence anyway? so much again about the title. Today's episode is inspired by one of our listeners, Danielle. Hello, Danielle. You don't know this yet. You inspired me to do a podcast that's focused on describing our son's educational path because I've talked about it in so many different episodes, but only, you know, fractal, like partial here and there. So I think We are due an episode to kind of walk you through our son's educational path. So our son started off in a daycare when he was about, let's see here, I think it was about two, two and a half. He was in a daycare. It was a pretty formal type of corporate daycare. It was inside of a Wells Fargo building and uh, a lot of the uh, parents that worked at Wells Fargo or or in that building had their children in that daycare. And, you know, most daycares are daycares. I mean, you have uh, these sort of more child-led or Montessori or uh, maybe more set in nature type of daycares. This one was pretty pretty structured, pretty, uh, corporate, like I said, uh, in a downtown area in Los Angeles. And so our son was there until, uh, kindergarten. And then he went to a school that was a charter school also nearby. I remember some parents that were at the daycare had started this school because there was a need for a charter school downtown. Now this school, so this is after we you know, you could say he outgrew his daycare. So he was, I don't know if he was ready, but we were ready to move him to this charter school. And that school was very strict. They, uh, Kai had to wear a uniform. It was like a, you know, Navy kind of polo shirt with buttons and khakis. And Kai hates buttons. To this day, he will not wear anything with buttons. Now, I think he sort of just went along with it because he already hated buttons at that age. Um, but he did wear the uniform and we were there for two months, I believe. And he just told me this recently, He said it was the worst experience of any school he's had. He said that they yelled at him for getting off his, you know, out of his chair, that they generally yelled at all the kids, that there was a lot of disciplining uh, children and he hated it. And you know, back then you think, well, you know, you're a kid, you're kindergarten, it's school and yeah, school isn't always going to be that interesting, but it's good for you. It's to your benefit, right? That we just kind of moved along, but it got so bad that we decided to switch schools. And what had happened is that we signed up for a more, more alternative arts, charter of the arts in a, in a closer to where we actually lived and it sort of happened at a similar time when we were noticing that he was very unhappy there. And then we found out that actually a spot opened up in that school. So we moved him. We went from this charter school in downtown. We moved him to a charter of the arts, which was a really cool school. It was basically imagine like a, a, a giant kind of warehouse and inside of the warehouse, they had shipping containers and they had, had, uh, stacked them on top of each other. Some were open. Uh, it was just very cool, very artsy, um, you know, fun. And, and yeah, we, we, we really enjoyed it. But what happened is about four months in, we got called into the principal's office. And I believe first it was a teacher meeting, and then the second time it was principal. And they said that uh, Kai had been caught, you know, being sneaky. And I think they had snuck in underneath uh, bathroom stalls and locked the doors and snuck back out. And again, we're not talking about setting the school on fire or things like that, but, you know, some sneaky behavior. And at some point, I think the second time, him and a buddy, I guess, sort of slammed another kid against the wall and you know, it was just like, we were like, oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? And that's the first time when, when somebody mentioned, well, he may be a little hyperactive and maybe, you know, consider special ed. And I was like, what's that? Like, I, I didn't know what that was. At that point, I had no idea. I mean, I'd heard sort of vaguely about ADHD or ADD before, but it was not on my, my radar. It was not on our radar, my wife and I's. So, we went to a meeting. Um, I believe my wife was out of town. I went to this meeting and they sort of explained what, what, a uh, you know, a special ed is, um, like an individual, like an IEP. And I was like, yeah, I kind of get it. Okay. I, I was just sort of confused and not sure if that really was what was happening. But I sat there, I took notes and I went away and, as it so often happens in my life, I think it was about a month later, um, I saw a house in a different area of Los Angeles and I fell in love with it and I got my wife excited and I said, I think we're going to move. And so we were going to move anyway. And so I didn't really follow up on those notes that uh, I had gotten that day at this, at this school. And we moved to an area that had a very prestigious private school in walking distance from our house, right? This new area was a new school too. And so uh, it was prestigious. What I mean by that is like the program, the teachers, everything else was like, people spoke highly of it. It was a STEM school, uh, again, walking distance from our house, brand new. Uh, So naturally we decided to go there. And I remember bringing my notes with me from the previous school and I went to talk to somebody in administration. I said, look, we just moved here. Um, you know, we're in the area for the school we're get where we want to go here. And I just wanted to share that these are the notes that I got from the last school about him. What do you think? And I remember them look reading it and going like, yeah, don't worry about it. That's no, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. We don't have, you know, huge classroom sizes and it's a great school. There's a lot of outdoor activity yeah, don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, cool. So Kai started there and it was, um, I think, um, yeah, I guess he was about six now. Right. And so he went there and again, we started to see that, that, that Kai just didn't really like the classroom environment. You know, there was still about 25 kids, I guess by we're not, we don't have large or oversized classrooms. She meant we're not 30. But it was 25, and the teacher was okay. You know, there was a a TA, and they were sort of handling it. But I could tell that, and Kai wasn't the only kid. There was four or five kids, and I believe they were all boys. Uh, They just sort of didn't like that setting. And I have to say, it was a very small room with 25 desks, and there just wasn't a lot of "quote unquote" wiggle room, right? And they had their scheduled, you know, PE time and go outside time, and still very structured, obviously it was a public school and he didn't do well. And we realized that that's just not the environment for him. You know, this is the second, well, you could say the third, if you want to count the sort of more structured daycare, uh, the third time that he was in a structured classroom environment and it just didn't work for him. And so we decided to pull him out of the school, even though it was super convenient. I mean, we could walk to school, right? He could skateboard to school if he wanted to or me with him. And we uh, went to another school. It was a private school that um, our boy's cousin was in, in Manhattan Beach, which was uh, like a 35, 40 minute drive south of where we lived. So now we had a commute, right? But the school, you know, was highly regarded as a very kind of alternative, open minded uh, private school, very small classroom. I think it was like 10 kids, maybe 12, a lot of teachers, a lot of attention, a lot of sort of, you know, uh, arts and creativity and just just a cool school. And so we we went there, we started. And this is now with uh, both of our sons. Our youngest one was now old enough to go there. And, um, it went really well for about a year, about a year in, we kept getting these complaints that Kai is disruptive and he often gets out of his chair and he interrupts people and so forth. And again, we were thinking like, Jesus, I mean, we're trying all these schools, like what, what, what's going on? Right. And we were called into the office and this was sort of our famous day of like, Hey, Uh, we think that he has ADHD. Um, you should get him tested. And by the way, if you want the full benefit of this school, then he should probably be on medication. And so that was our infamous day of like, wow, wait, what? That's when ADHD sort of dropped into our laps. This is when he was seven. And so at that time. It would have been easy for us to give up and say, you know what? We've kind of tried everything. We've tried private. We've tried charter. We've tried more structured, less structure, artsy. Uh, Maybe he is the problem. But I remember a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, Joe, Joe and Carlos, really good friends, um, Joe had always mentioned that their son went to a school that was super radically alternative. And where the kids could do whatever they wanted to all day long, any day. And I always thought like, that's kind of crazy. Like, how are they going to learn anything? She would tell me things like, oh, they can make paper swords. They can do mud ball fights. They can, maybe not mud ball fights, but you know, jump around in the mud. They can read a book under a tree. They can just, what, they can be barefoot. They can do whatever they want. Of course, they had rules, right? You can't leave the school. You can't hurt anybody. They had clear rules but it just sounded so hippie, excuse my language, but it just sounded like, what, what? That's that's weird. And I remember talking to her and said, look, I'm reaching out to you sort of last, you know, desperation. Uh, w- w- what do you think? Like, w- what would you do? Or what do you think of Kai? Because they knew Kai, Kai and their son Elvis, they were friends. And I said to her, what do you think? And she said, he just needs to be, at a school like where Elvis is, he needs to, he needs a childhood. He needs to have that freedom. He needs to be in touch with nature. He needs to move when he needs to move. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I mean, what's there to lose, right? And so I asked her, I said, could you put in a good word? Because we were like mid-year. My wife and I had gotten the news, I think it was around September or October. And we were just like, we're not going to finish the school year at that school. Because we, we felt appalled by their... Uh, sort of in-house or in-school diagnosing of ADHD and and offering medication. It was just like, it was too much. It was like, well, wait, what's happening? And we had to trust our intuition, right? For other parents, that might be fine. For us, it was like, no, that's, I don't want to be at that school. I don't want to be at that school. And Kai didn't either. And um, so yeah, I, I asked my friend Joe to put in a good word and to see if we can possibly start in January, middle, middle of school year at this new school called Play Mountain Place, it's in Culver City, California. And uh, we, we got in and this is a private school, small school, and uh, thank God it didn't have typical Los Angeles private school prices. And we said to ourselves, let's make it work because it's for our son. And man, what a change. What a change. Now this school, a lot of parents will say, well, yeah, of course, of course. Right? So hear me out in this school, there was no homework. There was no grades. There was no grade levels and there were mixed ages of kids in the same, you know, court, you could say, um, courtyard area. And it was super like unstructured. Now, don't get me wrong, like I said, they had rules. There was a structured meeting in the morning where they would make up activities and where they would talk about, you know, plans and so forth. They had structured times of cleanup. There was uh, lunch time, but you could eat anytime. You could move at any time, you could go play anytime. You could request an activity anytime. If a teacher was available, it would happen, right? Or if multiple kids wanted to do an activity, they would find a teacher and it would it would happen. So the reason why Kai changed, we believe, this is now what, six years later, the reason why he changed is because he didn't have the pressure of evaluation looming over him. What I mean by evaluation, and this is something that I discussed with Stephen Porges on our episode, where, you know, we're already being evaluated in life, period. Period. Right, children are evaluated by their siblings, by their parents, by their family members, community, sports team coach, and so forth. And then you add school to this: teachers, principals, right? The grades, uh, the pressure, and the anxiety from parents that they're not going to get the right grades to get to the great, the greatest school to to you know turn out quote unquote. So that's a lot of evaluation. And you and I know as adults that anytime you're being evaluated for anything, whether it's at your job, right? When you have a a review at your job or when you're being evaluated for like at a sports team or you're an actor and you go to an audition, you're being evaluated, right? Um, It's nerve wracking. It's anxiety. (laughs) Uh, uh, What's the word? infusing or triggering right because we're being judged we're being measured against some norm how could that not be nerve-wracking especially for a child so at this school there was none of that the only evaluation was you know if you hurt someone if there had to be some conflict resolution you would get evaluated in a way that I think is empowering and positive, where, where they would look at how come you are being hateful or you're being negative, or you're, you're not expressing your need for a boundary, or, you know, it would be a very constructive kind of evaluation. But in traditional schools, in our public education system, there is an evaluation and it happens so subliminally in a way because you have the grades, right? So you're, you're not only given grades that you could technically be evaluated against your, your classmates, but also against other kids in the state or in the nation or around the world, right? You also get evaluated from your parents. For example, oh, well, your brother got an A plus in this subject and you're at a C or, you know, it's endless. There is so much anxiety that happens uh, uh, in, in, in the space of a... Tr- child's environment due to evaluation. So I just made a big deal about evaluation because what was suddenly not present in Kai's life was this additional evaluation. Look, he gets evaluated at home. We're not the perfect parents. We're getting more conscious, but we're not the perfect parents. And six years ago, certainly we weren't as conscious as we are now. So he got evaluation from us. He got evaluation from the grandparents, from their aunt, their, their uncle, uh, you name it, right? It's, it's there. We can't escape it. We live in a world that's uh, always comparing itself to someone, to our neighbor, to the next person, our coworker and so forth. There's always an evaluation, right? Judgment. But the additional judgment or evaluation pressures from the part of their, his environment called school was now reduced to a bare minimum. And you've heard us say this. When I talk about removing friction, that's what I mean. When we can remove any friction, any additional anxiety-producing friction or evaluation from our child's environment, you're going to see your child change. Those mental disorder symptoms are going to dissolve. I guarantee it. We've seen it. Kai has dissolved his tic disorder that he was diagnosed with. He has dissolved his impulsivity um, and his hyperactivity. And what I mean by that, by dissolving, it's not like gone forever. I mean, I, I want my boy to have some impulsivity and some hyperactivity when he needs it or wants it, right? But those are dissolved in six years with no medication and with no extreme lengthy, uh, you know, therapies, we've done a lot of stuff and we're still doing a lot of stuff like neurofeedback and we're looking at nutrition and we're doing meditation and we're doing exercise and, you know, we're doing stuff. So that all helps, but removing the friction that's between a child and his or her environment is key. And what that means is, like I said, To remove any additional judgment, anything that could produce anxiety, fear, insecurity, all of that. When we can reduce the friction in their environment, they will change. Their behaviors change. What dissolving symptoms means is changing behavior. I always say this. Children don't have ADHD because they have ADHD. A child that behaves like someone who we label with ADHD simply exhibits behaviors that when we investigate where they're coming from, that we can really get to the root cause and really cause those behaviors to change, aka dissolve the symptoms. So that's our job as parents, I believe, is to help them heal that way. Because the friction is real. The struggle is real. The label doesn't have to be. You've heard me say this before. In this case, we're talking about education. I believe it's our job to find the right environment for our children and define what right means. Right does not mean, oh, well, this is the feeder school to this awesome preppy school that leads to MIT or Stanford, right? That's not the right school, That's perhaps the right school inside of the Ivy League track that we think is right for our child, right? And again, look, a lot of people take the Ivy League track. And hey, if that's your thing and you succeed, great. A lot of people do it because they think that's where they should go. And then they have a nervous breakdown or they can't handle it or they get out of control or they're successful, but their marriage and their family's falling apart, right? It's, It's not about the track. It's about the match. If it's not a match, it's not the right school. And for our son, I mean, we went through five schools and it was never a match. And I'm so thankful, so grateful to this day that my wife and I kept going. And we said to ourselves, "Mm -mm, this isn't it. This isn't it. And when we found that school, this is a child-led school called Play Mountain Place in Culver City, a new world opened up. And it was actually, <laughs> it's not a new world, but it was like, oh, wait, that's what child, a childhood could be like, or was like, or used to be like, right? One of our uh, dear friends and an expert that we've interviewed on this podcast as well, and for our documentary, Marilyn Wedge, wrote a book called uh, A Disease Called Childhood. There's so much in this title. We could take an hour just dissecting it and you can listen to that podcast episode. It's a wonderful episode, a disease called childhood, you know, and so many other authors have written about this, you know, nature, like connection to nature and, and having a slow life, not having expectations slapped on our children at six years old, right? I mean, there's parents today signing up their unborn babies to a childcare or a, a preschool that they know it has the reputation to get them into the best kindergarten or the best school, right? That's literally happening right as I'm speaking. And that is not allowing a child to unfold. And here's the kicker. It takes a level of trust, you know, like a bungee jumping kind of trust when you first bungee jump. When my wife and I were told, um, you're going to have to like back off because you're not going to get tutors. Um, Your children are going to learn through play. And if you want this school to work for your children, you got to back off and not back off in a mean way. They just said, trust, you know, trust and learn. And it was amazing. I'll just give you an example that our son learned how to read by playing pokemon cards if you're not familiar with the pokemon card games most people are but it's sort of an anime style card game and there's a lot of type a lot of text on these cards and if you want to play the game you need to you need to know how to read you need to learn the card right and so kai would be super excited about these cards and he would be watching these kids play and he'd be like i want to play and then he would play and realize he can't read what's on the cards and so I think it was like, I don't know, three months later, maybe, or sooner, he started to read. Now, his reading wasn't perfect, still isn't to this day, but he taught himself how to read through playing cards. And that's what that school stood for. That school said, look, your child is going to learn the things that, that he's interested in his way. You can push him. You can have him memorize stuff. You can force him to read every day. Yes, he'll he'll learn to read, but he may end up hating learning. And what's great about, you know, when children want to learn, it's because they're interested in. They will learn. It doesn't matter how old you are. Think about it. You and I, uh, whether it's taking a, a, a tango a lesson, a dance class, or learning how to uh, uh work with concrete or whatever you look at a youtube video right or you go take a dance lesson we can choose to learn at any age if we're interested if we have a passion for a subject we will go learn it we won't even question how it has to be learned i mean if you want to learn how to play the guitar well the easiest way is to get a guitar and get a teacher or look at youtube videos but you gotta you know you know what you need to do you get a guitar and you start playing right So it's not like we're questioning the learning process, but my belief is that when we force our children to learn a certain way, they're going to have resentment with not just the word learning or school or education, but they're just going to push back on it because they're feeling the force feeding, right? Because let's face it, what public education is about today still, and it's been like that since the beginning, like the factory kind of model of learning, of education, was basically like, look, here's a bucket of information. We're going to force feed it to you, stuff it down your throat. Then you memorize that. And when we have a test, you spit it back out. And the more of it, the more accurate you are giving us that information back, the higher your grade. So what I'm here to say is that if you have good grades in the public school system, that actually has nothing to do with intelligence. That doesn't mean you're intelligence. That means you have a really good memory. That's all that means. We think it's intelligence, but really it's a good memory. The kids that are really intelligent, they learn how to learn different ways. They learn about many different things. They go at their own speed. They come up with their own ideas. Like I'll give you an example. My uh, nine-year-old the other day, was doing math and he loves math and he came up with a new way to add numbers and I'd never heard of it. My wife never heard of it. And we talked to the math teacher and she said, never seen it before, but it works. So what that was about was him trying to figure out, okay, well, I know they're telling me to do it this way, but is that the only way to do it? That's intelligence. He then figured out a way. Now, even if he hadn't figured out a way how to do it, the fact that he thought there might be another way, let me look into it, that's intelligence. Because just memorizing stuff, I mean, unless you have an issue with your memory or you have a defect in your memory, that's just a repetition game. That's just getting somebody to be obedient and willing to just memorize whatever they're given. And if they're good at it, they'll get a good grade. Again, has nothing to do with intelligence. It's a good memory. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but anyway. So what happened at that school opened our eyes. We realized, first of all, child-led is the way to go for children who seem to have more friction in their environment. I believe anybody that's hyperactive, impulsive, inattentive, as you know from other episodes, behaves that way for a reason, not because they have ADHD. It's much deeper than that. Because again, as I always say, ADHD is made up as a label. It describes observed behaviors, aka symptoms. So you can't have those behaviors because you have ADHD. Because we just established that's just the name of of those behaviors. So we got to go deeper, right? And when we go deeper, I believe that those behaviors are there for a reason. And that reason is that the child's nervous system is in defensive mode and it's stuck there. And so there's no other ways these kids can behave. And as, as you've heard me share this before, there are reasons why that nervous system is stuck in the defensive mode. And this is based on the polyvagal theory, Stephen Porges, who I had the pleasure of interviewing. And that's what he agreed on. He said, I agree. ADHD is a nervous system, you know, a child's nervous system stuck in defensive mode. And that's sort of a layman's term, right? But what that means is that, you know, we usually have no idea what can do that for a child. Because what can actually get one child's nervous system stuck in defensive mode is not enough to do it to the next child. So we can't compare our children to a norm, right? We can't have a, well, that group is normal. And this one is not because we have no idea. And we'll probably never know how one stressor or a trauma affects a particular child. But what we do know is they're behaving that way. Now there's friction, right? So if my son, when my son was in the public school system, there was friction because the teachers would be the feedback of that friction. They would say, Oh my God, not again, too much. Ah, 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 pulling out their hair, right? That's the friction. But it doesn't mean that the child is the one producing the friction. It just means that the child being inside of that environment causes the friction. But when you take the same child out of that environment, aka public school system, and we put our son into a child-led school where there was more freedom and almost no evaluation, the friction was gone. So it's not friction produced by the child. It's a very important point. I think this is the most important point of this talk, that the friction that's between the child and the environment is not due to the child causing it, meaning the child is not the problem. We actually proved that by removing, you know, lifting our son, I'm I'm visualizing a crane, out of the public school system, right, panning over, dropping him into a child-led school where there was a very low amount of evaluation. Friction gone. Now, I know that some parents may think, okay, all sounds good, Roman. Following you, gotcha. But now what? Is my son going to turn out? He's going to be reading a book and playing with mud and paper swords and learning how to read from Pokemon playing cards Does that lead to a successful life? Is my son gonna be able to go to college and go to uh, Ivy League school and have a good successful future? I don't know. I don't know. Because I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you what works or doesn't work for your child. But I can tell you that if we're forcing our version, our idea of a successful life onto our children, Just that simple act of forcing it, just like I said, force feeding someone information is going to leave a negative flavor taste in their mouth. So if we're forcing that onto our children, thinking, oh, that is what they need. They will feel that. They do feel that. And what that communicates is, I don't trust you that you have enough intelligence and so forth to carve out your own path. So I think you should do what I, what I say, and don't get me wrong here. As parents, we are guides. We are, we're here to guide our children in the right direction. Again, right direction, simply meaning, and it's my belief, happiness and fulfillment, not so much financial success, because I believe when, when we are happy and fulfilled, we are going to attract financial success. I believe we will manifest it when we're coming from being happy and fulfilled, right? It's the be, do, have, not the have, do, be. You don't have to have a lot of money to do things to then be happy. It's more like be happy and you do the actions of a happy person, which leads to having whatever you need. That's abundance. Abundance is not having everything. It's having everything you need at all times. And I'm a big believer that when we allow our children to unfold so they can become who they are, their unique right being that's here, that's going to carve out their own path for for their own soul's mission, they will find it. But if we mold them into who we think they should be, there's going to be issues. And I believe, I'm a big believer, that it's kind of like this catch-22 that can cause a child to have anxiety, depression, mental disorders such as ADHD, even, you know, tic disorders, uh, you name it, schizophrenia, bipolar. I believe, like many experts we've interviewed, that 95% of all mental disorders, 95% of all mental disorders are caused from the outside in, not from the inside out, meaning there's not a hardware issue, a.k.a. brain But there's a programming issue, a.k.a. the environment the child lives in, right? The imprints of the environment, the stressors, the traumas, the role modeling that affects their psyche, their brain. And now they're behaving a certain way that we then say, oh, that's a mental disorder caused by a faulty brain. So it's totally twisted, totally twisted. And I think it's our duty as parents to never stop looking for the perfect environment, to never stop, stop looking how to remove more friction from the environments, right, of our children. Home life, school, community, diet, exercise, video games, all of it. Consider all of it. When there's friction, reevaluate it, right? And so what we did then is we, we then moved again from Los Angeles out into the, call it country. We're now an hour and a half north of uh, Los Angeles in a little town called Ojai a lot of nature, life is much calmer. There's not a single billboard in the city or town. Um, There's just, it's a calmer life. Again, reducing friction, right? We decided to reduce as much friction as we can in all areas of our son's life. And thank God we found another amazing child-led school called Rock Tree Sky, cool name, right? In Ojai, California. And it was very much an expansion or an extension of Play Mountain Place, where we were at in Culver city. And so this is sort of the end of the report of this episode is that our son is currently at Rocktree Sky. He's getting some, uh, uh, basically it's like a, uh, uh, three days at the school and then two days are, are homeschool support uh, with, with some uh, subjects, you know, math, reading, writing. And again, we're not forcing it. We're suggesting it, we're guiding, uh, we're experimenting with that. So far, both our kids uh, like it um, to read, to, to write. And even as one of our tutors pointed out that uh, we're now adding tutors because my wife really doesn't want to be the teacher, like as the parent. It's a very stressful role. Again, we're trying to remove that friction. We have a tutor who told us that even audiobooks, right, when kids listen, that's, that's considered reading. I know some parents that are like, no, not really. That's not really reading. But it is. It is to the mind. It is, it is to the imagination. And so we're finding different ways. And we are allowing our son to be himself. Because back then when he was told that he might have ADHD, he also had a tic disorder. I'm like, well, if I was about to be diagnosed with a mental disorder as a kid, of course I would have a tic. Because it's it's anxiety, right? It's anxiety expressed through the body. It's stuck energy that needs to come out. Um, it's all connected. I think as as a humanity, we've lost uh, this 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 uh, what's the word? We've just sort of lost it by by considering all these things as separate. Oh, the environment has nothing to do with the brain, and oh, the behavior is a mental disorder, and that's not really due to any trauma or stress. And there's all these disconnects, like we're not realizing that it's all connected. And especially with young children, I mean, their nervous systems are so fragile. If we stick them into a school where there's so much evaluation and pressure, and if they're a very highly sensitive being, which I think is a super positive thing, then it's going to affect their nervous system. And we're not going to see it as stress or trauma. We're just going to think, oh, they're just not good at school or they hate school. And then here's... I think Russell Barkley is one of the experts and sort of ADHD world-renowned top experts on the pro-label, pro-medication side once said, uh, I think a parent asked like, well, yeah, but my child, you know, when, when there's no homework, they're not stressed out. And he's like, well, yeah, but we don't live in a, ho- in a world where you can't do the homework, right? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but can't we create a world where it's not that, that like the evaluation and the stress isn't so fucking intense, Excuse my cussing, but really like it's fucking intense. I mean, have you seen some of these kids do homework for an hour and a half and do all these tests and get evaluated and get compared and their parents are on breathing down their necks about grades and report cards? I mean, that's stress. That is enough to lock a child's nervous system in defensive mode. This is not me making this up, Roman, the research dad. This is me talking to world-renowned experts that have been studying this for 40 years. The nervous system, the effects of trauma, right? I've talked to the top people in the business. They all agreed. You can listen to my podcast with Gabor Mate. You can listen to my podcast with Stephen Porges or, uh, you know, Bessel van der Kolk who wrote uh, The Body Keeps the Score. These are experts and they all agree with what we're saying. So I don't know how long I have to do this for the next few years with my podcast and the film and, you know, how many times I have to say it and how many uh, more bigger experts we need to get until people go, oh, I see you're connecting the dots because ADHD isn't an isolated sort of, you know, we always want to compartmentalize. It's not this isolated mental disorders that... The disorder that nobody's really figured out the root cause, because according to the CDC, science is still out on the real cause, right? It's like, really? I mean, come on. There are studies after there's study, after study, after study, after study. And if you haven't listened to uh, one of the the latest episodes called Debunking the Science Behind, Behind ADHD, that's episode 84, I highly encourage you, it's a dense episode. But I also list in the show notes all the studies that these psychologists refer to when they pushed back against uh, the APA uh, on a ADHD brochure project. When they basically said, look, you can't print this. This is not science. There are studies basically already debunking what you're going to say in that brochure. And you're the top, you know, you're the APA you're printing this, you're releasing this, you can't, right? So they, they wrote him a letter, and that's what this episode, that episode 84, debunking the science behind ADHD is about. So I'm a little frustrated because there's so much, there's so many studies, so much science, that most people that are so, quote-unquote, ADHD advocates or coaches or young people who are like, ADHD is real and I have it and it's horrible and uh, only medication... Works, they're not connecting the dots. They may have connected two dots called diagnosis to mental disorder called ADHD. Those are the two dots they connect. They may do another one, right? Medication, but that's it. That's the triangle. It's closed. It's done. Now they are listening to every expert from that sort of through that, looking at it through that perspective, right? Through those glasses. We've connected another probably 12 or 13 dots around ADHD that people think, what does that that have to do with ADHD? But once you connect the dots and you see the full picture, it's kind of like a 3D, you know, diagram versus just a flat 2D triangle. We realized that there's way more than meets the eye. And that's why we do this. We want parents to be armed with this knowledge or at least knowing where to go look for it. And I'm so excited. We're about to come out with, hopefully before Christmas, with our uh, ADHD diagnosis survival guide. It'll be a downloadable PDF for free that you can download, you can share. Um really excited. It's been a labor of love and hard work, but we're getting close. And again, it's there for you, the parents. It's there for you to get the complete truth, not the incomplete narrative, not the one-sided narrative. And then you can decide whether you medicate or not, whatever therapies you want to do or not, whether you label or not, whether you call it mental disorder or not, that's your choice. We're not going to tell you what to call it or what to say or what to do. We don't know your child. You know your child best, but we're here to report from the front lines. And today's episode, inspired by Danielle, thank you, Danielle, was about education and the path that you might have to take, a similar path, if you're going down what we call the road less traveled. We haven't met too many parents who are doing what we're doing, but there's quite a few who are also going down what I call the non-medication route. Again, not medication bad, good, none of that. It's just like medication is suggested and they go, no, thank you. We're going to, we're going to try the alternative way. And then you got to figure, you know, it's kind of like you're on your own. It's like, go find some, somebody, a coach or somebody, a family that's done it, or, you know, put it all together like a puzzle piece. And that's why we wanted to do this movement. Because it's not about telling you, the parent, exactly what you should do, but it's kind of guiding you and directing you towards the other part of information, the, the, the other side of the, the truth that will complete the picture. So you can go, Oh, okay. Now I get both sides. Now I see it. Okay. Where do I fit in? Right? So again, this was about uh, choosing the right school for your child and you get to decide what right means, right? I think it's all direct, all directly connected to a level of fear a level of scarcity thinking of, will my child turn out? Will they have enough? Will they be successful? Will they survive? Will they have money? Will they be happy? Right? All justified thinking, all justified concerns for parents, right? For our children. I'm here to say, and this is largely intuitively, I'm here to say that the more we let them unfold, and we guide them, and we love them, and you've heard me say this before, love is a form of acceptance. It has nothing to do with romance or intimacy or sex or whatever your relationship. Simply loving someone is to accept them for who they are and who they're not. And when we do that with our children, when we accept that maybe in that moment they're not okay with a public education, then we can either force them into it or we can look for an alternative. And even if you think, well, I can't afford a private school. Well, I can't move. I can't, I can't, I can't. That is also scarcity thinking because I've met so many people along the way and during these seven years of of you know research and doing this project that have beat the odds and the system. I've met single parents with three kids that gotten into private schools through grants, scholarships, And other help, other forms of help. Where there is a will, there's a way. I just don't stop when someone says, well, I can't. Because that is a mindset. And if you stop there, then you're right. You can't. You're always right. Whether you say, I can or I can't. So the choice is simple. Pick what empowers you. I don't know, if I can't empowers you, pick I can't. Maybe that's the right thing for you now, but maybe two years from now, you're like, oh shit, now I can, I get it, right? There's no right or wrong here, never. I always say the the biggest evaluator for me is like, is it empowering or is it not empowering? Meaning is it disempowering? If it's empowering, I'm good to go. If it's disempowering, why do I want it around? Now we can go full circle. ADHD is a disempowering label for children. Why do we want to keep it around? Hence, why not declare ADHD is over? We can call it something else. We can rename it something empowering. I'm good with that. The struggle isn't going to be over. There's always trauma and stress in life. That's part of life. The struggle is here to stay because it's contrast. We get to transform ourselves into a stronger, more advanced human being, right? Through stress and trauma through the experience of that. But the label doesn't have to be disempowering. And I will argue with any expert at any level and stand for that fact that a word, meaning a term, called deficit and disorder can never be empowering. It cannot. Because of the agreement that those two words carry A deficit means not enough, a disorder means something wrong, that's disempowering. So I'm not here to say what the label should say. I'm here to say ADHD is over coming from the future. And if you're interested to keep it around, ask the question, what's my payoff? What am I getting from this label still being around? What am I getting from telling someone like me, Roman? F off. ADHD is not over. It's real. I have it. What are you getting? Look at the payoff. It could be pity. It could be an excuse, a crutch. It could be that it's your identity. It's now become your identity. And if that's taken away, then who are you, right? I don't know what the answer is for you. But if you're someone who is committed to keeping it around, I'm just inviting you to look deeper and see what's the payoff. And is that empowering? Is that working in your life? Are you living a fulfilled life? If not, declare it as over. There's nothing lost. Nothing lost. Nothing. Got to say it with a Hollywood trailer voice. Nothing lost. Sounded like Sean Connery. Anyway, thank you for listening. I just wanted to do this episode on education, Our Son's Path. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you took away some, some nuggets, some insights, some inspiration. That's our goal. Feel free to reach out to us directly if you have an idea for an episode. Um, uh, you can just go to the website, ADHDsover.com. You can write us or you can just write us feedback or you can leave us a, leave us a, a, a note. always love to hear it or, or leave a, uh, a review on the, po- on the uh, podcast platforms. We'd appreciate that. And I hope to have you back again soon. If this was your first episode, definitely come back for more. We got a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool guests coming up. And I'm just excited to, uh, to keep sharing information with you all. Okay? Have a fantastic day, week, evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. And until soon, bye.